Haggai chapter 2 and we're going to study this morning verses 1 to 9 of this chapter and our theme this morning is God's presence and power past present and future God's presence and power past present and future one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists is glory days by Bruce Springsteen And I know in many ways I'm far too young to be a fan of Bruce Springsteen, but you can blame my dad for brainwashing us in the car when we were youngsters playing lots and lots of Bruce Springsteen songs. Uh, But Glory Days is a sort of a a feel-good song, but it's also quite a a bittersweet song. It's sung from the point of view of a man entering middle age, and he's looking back on what he calls the glory days of his youth. He sings about a friend who was a promising athlete in school, a former girlfriend that he still bumps into from time to time. Uh, And the singer's looking back to a time when he had it all in front of him, when he was young and carefree with big dreams. And at the end of the song, he says, time passes by and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory days. Boring to everyone else, but the stories that you keep telling time and time again. Time passes by. Of course, as human beings, we're bound by time. Sometimes we would love to slow time down. Uh, Maybe we're enjoying a particular moment in life so much, we're enjoying a wonderful holiday, or a couple are enjoying their wedding day. Uh, Maybe there's a particular age or stage that your children reach and you love it and you wish you could just freeze time. Other times, of course, we wish we could speed time up. Maybe the young couple who are engaged and can't wait to be married. Or a young person in school who wants to get exams over with. Or when we're waiting to hear about a job. The people to whom Haggai was sent to preach probably wished that either they could slow time down or speed it up. They were living in a time that compared poorly to the past. And left them with doubts about the future. But into that discouraging situation comes the timeless and timely word of God. We are limited by time and circumstance but God is not. God created time. He is outside of time if our minds can comprehend that. He is completely unaffected by time in the ways that we are. And when we are discouraged and anxious... He is kind enough to speak to us and encourage us with his timeless and timely word. And the first thing that God says here in this next passage in Haggai, the first thing that he says to his people is, don't be intimidated by your past. Don't be intimidated by your past. Look at Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came. Dates, names and places are all over the scriptures (coughs) and they're very important. It's part of the evidence of the truth and reliability of scripture that it's not just abstract, it's full of dates and names and places. And this particular date was very significant Uh, for the Jewish people, the 21st day of the seventh month of the year. It works out as the 17th of October, 520 BC. The seventh month was perhaps the most important month 
of the whole year for the Jews. On the first day of the month was the Feast of Trumpets, commanded in Leviticus 23. Trumpets were blown to mark a day of rest and of thanksgiving offerings being offered to God. And it also marked the beginning of preparation for the Day of of Atonement, which was the most important day of the year. The Day of Atonement took place on the 10th day of the seventh month. It was the only day of the year when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial goat on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Another animal would be chased away into the wilderness symbolically. And these two rituals taught God's people that a blood substitute, a sacrifice was needed to carry away the guilt and punishment of their sin, the most holy day of the year. Finally, on the 15th day of the seventh month, there was the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was when the people were commanded by God to build little shelters for themselves, made out of leaves and branches. Boys and girls, I don't know if you have a treehouse at home, or if you've ever built yourself a little shelter or hideaway in your garden. Well, that's sort of like what God commanded his people to do for a week every year. They were to build little shelters and live in them. And this was to remind them of how their ancestors had lived for years and years as they wandered the wilderness before they came into the promised land. So three holy days, friends, three uh, tremendously important days uh, and important weeks in the year, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Now, bearing all of that in mind, notice that God speaks through Haggai on the 21st day of the seventh month, when the last feast, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, is about to end. It's the end of three weeks of holy days, three weeks when God's law forbade any work to be done, which would have included the work of rebuilding the temple. Three weeks when God's people were reminded vividly and clearly about their past, the glory of the Exodus, the miraculous ways in which God had brought their ancestors into the promised land, the wonderful kingdom that had emerged there under David and Solomon instead of having to wander around living in tents. Glory days. And now these holy days are coming to an end. And the people are starting to look once again at the unimpressive foundations of their new temple. And all those piles of rubble that have been lying in Jerusalem for 60 years. And perhaps, friends, they really, really didn't want to go back to work. We probably all know that feeling, don't we? Did you have to drag yourself back to work on that dark January day after Christmas? Boys and girls, would you not rather have had another week of Christmas holiday than go back to school or or maybe in the summertime, another week to enjoy the, the long evenings and the sunshine instead of going back to school? Well, perhaps that's how these people felt. And it wasn't just that they they were work shy. It wasn't that they just wanted more holiday time for the sake of it. It was that the holiday time that they just had reminded them of the glory of the past, a far more glorious past than their discouraging present. But God knows exactly how they're feeling. 
And look at the timely message he brings them through Haggai, verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is the issue you see. The oldest Jews would have remembered seeing Solomon's golden temple. It had been constructed with the the help of foreign rulers who willingly gave whatever materials Solomon wanted because they wanted to impress Solomon. They wanted to keep in with Solomon. Solomon was the greatest king in the world. The nations came and paid tribute to him. His nation, the Israel, were respected and feared. The people in Haggai's day have none of that. Their temple is not going to be overlaid with gold. The nations around them do not respect them. And they're not even starting from zero. They're starting with rubble. Ezra chapter 3 verse 12 in fact tells us that when the foundations for this temple were dug, the, old, the, young people, the younger people were crying with joy. They were praising God. They were happy. But Ezra 3 verse 12 tells us that the old men wept because they could see this temple is it's not going to be anything compared with the temple of Solomon. And God knows the mix of emotions that are being felt. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as absolutely nothing in your eyes? Can you identify with these people at all? Some of you are old enough probably to remember when things were much different and probably seemed much better for the church in our country. I remember one older minister telling me that when he was growing up in Belfast uh, in the the 50s and 60s, the, the streets would have been black with people on a Sunday morning in their dark suits, heading off to fill those big church buildings in our capital, many of which are now bars and restaurants and nightclubs. Maybe you think, are we ever going to see anything like that again? 2017, five years ago, marked the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Many of us took time to reflect on it and celebrate it in one way or another, but in some ways... Hearing about the Reformation could discourage us. I wonder sometimes, is that one of the reasons why many Christians today, we don't really take much time over church history. Uh, We're not familiar with it. We don't take the time to think about it. Not because we don't think it's important, but maybe because in reading about it, you just think, well, things were so much better generations ago. We're nowhere near the Reformation today. Friends, that's exactly, of course, the need to learn about it because Martin Luther and John Calvin and everyone who came after them, spiritually speaking, they were starting with rubble, like the Jews in Haggai's day. And look what God did. Maybe just on a personal level, you're tempted to look back and think about the glory days. Maybe you once had greater strength, physically or spiritually, to serve in some particular way in the church or in your family. Maybe you look back at times when you were maybe going better in your faith. Maybe you look back at relationships that you once had and and now miss. Friends, we're not to be intimidated by our past. 
We're to learn from our past, whether it was good or bad. We're to be thankful for our past and we're to be reassured by our present. God has placed us in this place at this time with all the strength we need for today's challenges. God's word comes to the people when they could easily have been getting discouraged and his message to them is, don't be intimidated by your past. In fact, instead, he says to them, secondly this morning, be strengthened for your challenging present. Be strengthened and be encouraged for your challenging present. Look at the encouragement of verses 4 and 5. Boys and girls, some of these words are on your sheet this morning. Verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit, he says, remains in your midst. Notice the great encouragement and reassurance there from God, friends. Three times God says, be strong. Zerubbabel, who we'll think more about tonight, the governor of the people. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Joshua, the high priest, the spiritual leader of the people. Be strong. Everyone involved in the work, be strong. Be encouraged. Fear not. If their past was intimidating them, perhaps those words, be strong, would be a reminder to them that this wasn't the first time that God's people had felt intimidated. As they look back on the past and they maybe thought about the glories of the past, they had to remember how weak and frail and needy they felt in those times as well. Remember, for example, when they were standing on the border entering into the promised land and Joshua has just become the new leader of God's people and Moses has died. Imagine how Joshua felt leading a million people into the promised land and God says to him, be strong and of good courage. And he says to all those people standing behind Joshua, be strong and of good courage. I am with you. And he says the same thing to the people listening to Haggai. Verse 4, work, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And you might have noticed in the reading, or you can notice it even now as you glance through the, the passage, that that phrase declares or says the Lord of hosts. It's repeated time and time again. The Lord of hosts. That, that's a, a name emphasizing the sovereignty of God, emphasizing the superiority of God over all the powers of the world. The one ruling over Darius and Persia and Babylon and Jerusalem and everyone else. That's whose power, that's whose presence is at the disposal of God's people. And so God uses their past to encourage them. Look at verse 5. I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. What did that covenant say? It said that God was a God of steadfast love, showing love to generation after generation. And notice he says there, friends, the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. This remnant, this is thousands of years since the, the Exodus. 
But God says, I am your God as much as I was their God. As much as I was with Moses and that first post-Exodus generation, I am with you, you tiny little remnant today, just the same. My spirit remains with you. Fear not. The same means, the same power, the same God who had carried his people out of Egypt, taken them through the promised land, allowed them to conquer the promised land. That's whose power and spirit and presence was with them even still. That's how they would build the temple. That's how they would get back to the worship of God's great name. One writer says, God turns their thoughts away from what is true about themselves and instead to what is true about him. Isn't that a great thought? Even for you and for your service to God today as as a parent, as a worker, as a Sabbath school teacher, as a Christian neighbor to non-Christian neighbors, as a camp leader, as 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 a deacon or an elder in this church, our God turns our thoughts away from what is true about us And focuses them instead on what is true about him. It's not about us and our weaknesses. It's about him and his strength. My parents have kept a yearly photo album ever since they got married. And Hannah and I are seeking to follow suit. So far we've succeeded in doing the same. I say we, Hannah does about 95% of the work for it. But we enjoy having that physical copy in our hands of of photos and memories of the year past rather than just leaving all your photos out there in cyberspace it's good to gather them up and print them off and and have them and and we keep pictures don't we to remind ourselves of the highlights of the past generally speaking the best parts but perhaps even at times we document difficult things as well and we can look back and we give thanks for what God has given to us and we can see how far God has brought us And rather than be intimidated by the past, friends, God reminds his people here to take encouragement from the past for their present. To be reminded of how far they have come by God's word and by God's spirit. And friends, God's word and spirit are here for us today as well. Whether you're facing the challenge of starting work for the first time, changing jobs altogether, whether you're navigating the the challenges of older age, whether the challenge of sharing the gospel with someone is upon your heart, whatever it may be, God's message to you today is this. Be strong, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. And we can apply those words to our church here as well as a congregation. However however much uh, it was pointed out to me just this past week, in fact, that this is actually the, this year is the 250th anniversary of Dromore. Uh, it's the 250th anniversary since Dromore, as part of a wider group of Covenanter societies, made out their first call to a minister, to William Staveley. And what, however our present might compare with our past friends, however our present might compare with life as a church five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, God says, my spirit remains in your midst. Be strong and fear not. 
And he says here that his spirit is with them. And you might, we, we thought a little bit about this in the autumn, but you might think, well, what does it actually mean to have the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of debate and confusion about the Holy Spirit among Christians today. But as you read the scriptures, if you read the book of Acts, for example, you'll see that the most important sign, the most telling sign that someone has the Holy Spirit is that they talk about Jesus Christ and that they pray in the name of Jesus Christ. They talk about Jesus Christ and they pray in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what marked the people in the book of Acts, full of of the Holy Spirit. They talked about Jesus. They prayed in the name of Jesus And if that's not happening in our churches as much as we like, then we should pray that it would. And we should pray that we should be people who long for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we should be people who pray for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work that God has called us to do in our time and place. Be strong. I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So God says, do not be intimidated by your past. Be encouraged for your challenging present. And thirdly and finally this morning, be assured. Be assured of your glorious future. Be assured of your glorious future. Remember what God said to them in verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? And I think the word glory there (coughs) is the key word. As I say, the oldest people in Jerusalem looked at the start that was made in this temple and they knew it was never going to match up to the temple of Solomon, at least in terms of its outward physical beauty and glory. And yet, friends, if there is one thing that Scripture teaches us over and over again about how God works and what God values is that we are not to judge based on outward appearances. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And God says that the glory of this new temple is going to far outstrip the glory enjoyed by the temple of Solomon. Look at verse 6. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And look, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Now there's a lot to think about there. But again, I think that it all revolves around this issue of glory. How is this new temple smaller less grand, less golden, how is it going to be more glorious than the previous one? Well, physically speaking, you could say that it did eventually become more beautiful and splendid than Solomon's because years and years after Haggai, Herod the the so-called great, renovated the temple and extended the temple precincts and overlaid it all with finery and gold. And so on a superficial level, you could say, that this building became more glorious again. But of course, Herod was not a true worshipper of God. Indeed, he proved himself to be an enemy of God. Herod didn't do anything for the glory of God. Herod did everything for the glory of himself. So I don't think that's what we're to think of when we think of the glory of this temple 
exceeding the, the former glory. Rather, friends, the glory of this temple would eventually come from the presence of God within it. The presence of God within this temple. A few centuries after this temple was built in Haggai's day, God himself came and walked around in it and taught his followers and preached his gospel and announced the kingdom of God. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was and is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's in him that we most clearly behold the glory of God. Jesus, when he walked this earth, friends, embodied all that this temple was supposed to be. And a bit like the, the, the physical temple in Haggai's day, Christ had no outward glory. As Isaiah prophesied about him, there was nothing in Jesus' appearance that would have drawn you to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. He was even put to death on a cross, the most shameful, least glorious way to die. And yet in dying on the cross, he was providing a way for sinners to be saved. He was providing a way for us to dwell with God, to be with God, free from the punishment that our sins deserve. And so, friends, by challenging them to build this new, outwardly unimpressive temple, God was teaching his people to look beyond the obvious and the immediate and to look to the future, to look to the coming of his kingdom in glory. A glory personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice God says through Haggai that the treasures of the nations will come in. And it's funny, we, we read very similar language to that in Revelation chapter 21. The glory of the nations, the treasures of the nations being brought in. As men and women bow the knee to Christ as Lord and Savior and dedicate their very lives to him. That's why Psalm 72, which we'll sing in a few moments, closes with these wonderful words. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Let the gospel keep advancing. Let the nations keep coming. Let them add to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's no longer about a physical building, friends. It's about changed people. The church made glorious through the presence and power of Jesus Christ. Revelation 21 again, I saw no temple in the city. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God, notice that, the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. That's the future that we are headed for, friends. Even as we deal with our challenging present, we are headed for a future of glory, a future of joy, a future with our glorious King. Here's the challenge for you and me this morning. Whose glory are we living for? Which kingdoms are we investing in? We're all investing in someone's kingdom. 
Maybe it's our own little kingdoms, our own panelled houses, our own lives which are short and fleeting. And before you know it, you're looking back and longing for the glory days that have been and gone. Far more worthwhile it is, friends, to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, which will outstrip and outlast everything else. In the 1960s, there was a group of young producers at the BBC who thought perhaps the time had come for the BBC to stop including any religious content at all in its programming. These young producers met with Lord Reith, the Scotsman who founded the BBC, and they made their case. They said, you know, the world is changing. It's becoming more secular. People don't really care about this religious stuff anymore. It's not relevant. There's no need to worry about it. Lord Reith replied to the young executives, mark my words, the Christian church will stand over the grave of the BBC. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, the splendor and the majesty and the beauty of his church will outlast culture and politics and institutions. It will certainly outlast pandemics. It will outlast your relationships. It will outlast your bank account. It will outlast this universe. And so are you a part of it? Are you a part of this living temple, the people of God? With your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, are you investing your finances and your energy and your time so that more people will hear about him, so that more glory would come to his name? Don't be intimidated by your past. Be encouraged for your challenging present. Be assured of your glorious future. Be strong. I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Amen.